the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Every morning is a new opportunity to take in the news of the day and the challenges of life and try to make sense of it all. Right now, we've got a show that tackles the topics and asks what you think. So get ready to start your day with a bold look at history as it happens. Let's learn, live, and sometimes laugh together. It's the Mark Davis Show on 660 AM, The Answer. All right, everybody, come on in. It is our final hour together today. And I don't think we're done on the Middle East or the, the border deals or, or whatever else. But let's let's do us some Texas for some of our nine o'clock hour here. In a little bit, I want to play both Brent Money and Jill Dutton. They were both on. They've certainly been uh, carping at each other through the commercials. <laughs> you're a terrible person. Oh, yeah, you're worse. So's your old man. Uh, that special election to to fill uh, the Brian Slayton vacancy in House District 2, uh, that is tomorrow. So you just get one more day of those ads. We'll get a little bit more of action leading up to March 5th in the primary. So many things in the Texas primary, including who's going to be Drew Springer's successor. And that is the always newsmaking Senate District 30. Where you've got a guy with all these endorsements, my gosh, and uh, but but a little bit of a residency issue hanging around him, uh, Brent Hagenboop, and uh, you have Kerry Demore and Jace Yarborough, and this gentleman. We complete our tour through the Senate District Thirty candidate pool by saying hello to Cody Clark. Welcome, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great this morning. I appreciate y'all having me on. Nice to have you. We got stuff about issues. We got some certain little details of intrigue in the race that we'll get to first. Got to go through those turnstiles. But first, tell me about you, your life, upbringing. What made you think I need to be in the Senate? Well, uh, we actually feel compelled to be in the Senate. What we effectively do through our work is uh, we work with the legislative officials, both here locally and at the Capitol itself, on uh, substantive legislative matters uh, for our most vulnerable Texans, which are our special needs population. So when Drew Springer kind of announced he wasn't going to run for re-election, we felt compelled to throw our name in the hat because, well, we're, we're doing at least what your representative should be thinking about, hopefully actually doing in function. Gotcha. What is the, what do you, where does the special needs passion and the direction of your interests in that, uh, in that where, where does that come from? Uh, kind of our whole life. Uh, so I actually had a, a special needs uncle growing up. He had Down syndrome, and my wife is a, a special needs teacher by training. Uh, she worked down and around DFW, and then ultimately for a very large provider doing the exact same of uh, exact same kind of services that we provide today. And we just started at level zero, dollar zero in Aubrey, Texas, and grew from there. And now we have about a hundred people working for us. And while we don't go into our brick and mortar location so much anymore, all we do every single day is work on the larger substantive issues for the IDD and special needs community. Very good. So Senate District 30 is sort of north of DFW and then sweeps way west. And it's just you got Munster and all kinds of other great community. Wait, what what exact part of the district are you from? Where where, where are you from? Right. Uh, uh, pretty much in the middle. We're, uh, we live personally in Krugerville. Our businesses operate primarily in Denton and Collin counties. Mm-hmm. It spreads out a little bit further than that. Gotcha. Very, very good. So uh, the incumbent for get another year of Drew Springer and um, 
Look, before, yeah. but, look, boy, the last thing he told me was he wants Ken Paxton re-impeached. How did that grab you? <laughs> well, I listened to that interview. Um, I guess my, my most fundamental belief about that entire thing is uh, they, they had an opportunity to impeach him, and they decided not to. So I don't, I don't see why it makes well, they, a lot of they, sense. Had a, chance, had a chance to convict him. I mean, they did impeach him, but he wasn't convicted. Oh, correct, correct. Right. Yes, they they impeached him in the House, and yep. then convict would be, of course, in the Senate. Yep. And uh, so does that, that does that kind of end it? Does that kind of say, hey, we've we've done this. Let's let's get back to our lives now. Right. You could call it double jeopardy. You could call it another legal term. Um, but I think when you when you have a trial and try to bring all the evidence that you possibly could have that you gained from the investigation. And then it just doesn't quite get there. They just didn't bring the goods. And yeah. I don't think we rehashed that. Gotcha. Other than his sudden uh, fresh revulsion over Ken Paxton, has have the have the Drew Springer era, a brief one in the Senate, but he's been there and been somewhat of consequence. Has it generally been something you've approved of? Would your service be largely like his or different? And if different, in what way? Uh, yeah, I think I've largely approved of it. What what I continue to hear that I, I'm most in support of is when I go about our rural communities, which we go in every single one of the 11 counties in our district every single week, um, everyone reports that, hey, Drew Springer has been here. He brought me something. He did something for me. He responded to my question. He came to my door and knocked on our door. So it, when I hear those kinds of things about my current l- legislative official, it uh, really makes me proud of the job that he has been doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope to continue at least that in that regard. Yeah, I, I think that's a, the proper credit to, the, to, to Drew's entire operation. All right, let's move from yes. uh, from from this to the future. Now we got to hear four of you running. Do you think Brent yes. Hagenboo lives in the district? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, so it, it seemed, and I've spoken to Doctor Demore, spoken to Jay Scarborough, and now here you are. Are, are you um, – there are differences to be whittled out between all of you. You each individually think you would do best as Drew Springer's uh, uh, successor. Is is it kind of like the three of you? Is there any coordination between the other three of you and these continuing challenges? And where do you think that's all going to go? Um, my my fundamental belief is that he's ineligible for the office. Um, so I think that that will – all of us will be successful in that challenge, whether it's now the March 5th primary or before the November 5th election. Um, but uh, there's no real coordination. I've talked to Carrie Demore. I've talked to Jay Sharbro, obviously. Uh, I've talked to their attorneys before. Uh, there's bits of sharing of information that's just commonly mm-hmm. the public documents and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But uh, my challenge was an administrative one. Uh, Jace's challenge was a lawsuit that included the uh, state Republican Party of Texas and then Carrie's, of course, is Kind of the uh, kind of the total picture where it allows a judge to to look at the kind of uh, all of the facts and determine an eligibility in some total, which I think is the best challenge yet. Yeah. The calendar seems to be his friend. Uh, the 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 process can move really slowly, and you know March fifth will be here before we know it. And I don't know if this gets resolved, but what if what if he wins the dang primary and then later on it's like, well, it doesn't live in the district. Hmm. What do we do then? Yeah, I think that's a real concern, and, uh, and uh, unfortunately, it muddies the water, it confuses constituents. Uh, it should be embarrassing for his uh, endorsers and people that have given Ooh. him money. Um, I think it will <laughs> go beyond the March 5th primary, and we're going to have to continue to solve it. I think that it is entirely likely that we'll end up having some kind of runoff as well. And so I'd like to get it uh, decided, put on the trial docket, and get it solved as soon as humanly possible. But the court grinds slow it does cody clark is here running for sd30 it should be embarrassing for his endorsers 
That's Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick, Rick Perry, and some of your soon-to-be fellow uh, Senate colleagues, if you win. Yeah, I meant that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I like to ask twice. All right, well, let me ask yeah. some other – let's see what you mean about some other questions. Cody Clark is here yes, on tw- on Twitter. Let me get that all this right. Clark for N Texas, as in North Texas on Twitter, correct? That's me. Clark for N Texas on the X and Clark for Office. That's that's broad. <laughs> Clarkforoffice.com, correct? Yes, sir. Excellent, man. Fantastic. All right. So uh, the current standoff, uh, Biden, uh, Abbott, uh, the border, we've got that portion of park and we're just not going to let them come in and snip the razor wire. What's the right thing to do there? Absolutely not. I, th- I think it's kind of been a galvanizing force, you know, uh, for for quite a while, we've seen to be uh, a part on so many issues, but when when uh, the federal government said we're going to come in and force you to do things that are obviously unconstitutional, um, we all seem to have uh, come together on that. So, one, I think if they cut down the wire, we just put more wire back up. Yeah. You know, I think we need to do uh, common sense things. Uh, we need to stop the literal people coming in. So whether that's getting the Texas Guard uh, and UPS uh, troopers to stand shoulder to shoulder, we have to stop the inflow immediately. It is an invasion. I'm glad to see that our uh, our governor has declared it as such. And uh, I think we need to do, you know, really simple things like uh, use e-verify systems to prevent employees from hiring illegal immigrants. That will, you know, help discourage the flow into our state. Um, you know, but I think effective thing that we need to continue, one thing that's driven this conversation, Mark, is busing these illegal immigrants to these sanctuary cities. You know, we, we've had many politicians try to work on this border, securing our border issue. None of them have been particularly effective. We send one-tenth of one percent to a couple sanctuary cities. These other states are now pushing our federal government to do what they're obligated to do and the responsibility that they've skirted. So until they start doing that, uh, Texas is going to step up and do that for them. Do you believe that we have uh, – it's kind of – we have two – we have the Senate, we have the House. Do you believe that we have a generally conservative Senate run by a conservative lieutenant governor, and that's bringing about a lot of what Republicans like? And over in the House, it can be a, kind of a crazy quilt brought about by what some have described as the dade Feeling problem. I, I see it exactly as that. That was a good description. So, uh, so what do you? What I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, obviously, uh, all right. Here come a bunch of primary challenges. Some of them fueled by the aforementioned Ken Paxton. Uh, yes. Are those? Is 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 there a need for a kind of a house cleaning, a literal house cleaning in in the house? I don't know. If there's a need for that all across the board. I, I think some of these individuals have been labeled rhinos, and in my opinion, unnecessarily. Uh, that being said, when when they're lumped in to uh, vote to impeach uh, the attorney general, there there are consequences for that action. We're seeing that play out in these legislative primary challengers. In our remaining minutes, uh, what what has it not occurred to me to ask? What are some things that you bring to the table, maybe some things that have come out in debates or forums or on the campaign trail, where you think, because the name of the game in a primary is, here's how I'm different than these other folks in certain in certain ways. Is there anything that you claim exclusive uh uh, ownership of in terms of a, an idea, a policy, a thing? What what sets you apart, do you think? Yeah, I think it's a number of things. Um, all, all of the individuals in our race have the capacity, or excuse me, the capability to serve. Um, the reality is they don't have the time. So my job, as it stands today, is working with our legislative officials on substantive issues for those uh, with IDD and special needs. You know, it's a small segment of our population, but we think we can leverage those connections that we've we developed over uh, biennium after biennium 
to leverage those and work for the constituents at large for SD30. I'm also the only individual in our race who's uh, submitted actionable plans to carve three, four, probably closer to $500 million out of our health and human services budget just to simply reallocate wasteful spending, either for more services for special needs folk or uh, mental health, which was obviously a big thing for the 88th legislative session, or literal physical beds where people could go during crisis placement. It's solutions like that, also working with Health and Human Services, the agency to develop policies about the implementation of our state programming. They kind of set me apart, but uh, really mostly more than anything, it's, it doesn't matter how capable or your, how your capacity for um, doing legislative work is, if you are fundamentally unavailable when it comes down to being uh, available to your constituents, you're worthless. ClarkForOffice.com on the web search, at ClarkForOffice.com, and on the X, Clark for N, as in North, Clark for N, Texas, there on Twitter, X, whatever you call it. Cody Clark, pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you very, very much. And we may take a, I'm sure we will take a walk through everybody again on the way between now and the primary, March 5th, early voting, Feb 20. Thanks a bunch for being on with us. I appreciate it, Mr. Davis. Have a good day. You bet. I will. That's Cody Clark. Mark Davis, 921. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know if seasonal affective disorder is a real thing, but when it was like 11 or 20 or whatever degrees and the sun didn't shine for like five days, I mean, I'm never a down in the dumps kind of person. I think I just wanted to nap all day. It was, it was very weird. So it was an energizing weekend, a beautiful day today. All right. Let's uh, rather than listening to their commercials, just savage each other. <laughs> let's let's see what they say about each other in a real interview setting. Phil Prazan on Lone Star Politics on Channel 5, got to sit down with both uh, both Jill Dutton and Brent Money, who do not think much of each other in the House District 2 uh, special election, which is tomorrow. Which is, so finally we're done with that. Anyway, Phil asked uh, Jill, uh, what's the main difference between you and Brent Money? I would say the biggest difference is probably who is supporting us, um, who's backing us. Um, I am um, supported by a local uh elected officials, local leaders, um, by uh, uh, governor, former Governor Rick Perry, mm-hmm. who I actually campaigned for and worked for him as an intern on his last historic election as governor. Um, I'm also supported by Congressman Lance Gooden, who I have fundraised for, and former Congressman Jeb Henserling, mm-hmm. who I also fundraised for for years. Um, State Board of Education Chairman Kevin Ellis, and then various mayors, city council members, school board members. Um, and it's interesting to note that I'm also supported and endorsed by Greenville Mayor Jerry Ransom, um, who my opponent grew up here. When I asked him what um, the biggest difference is, you know, he points to the fact that you, you have support from Texas for lawsuit reform, associate Republican mm-hmm. in Texas. His, in his view, you know, he calls it the Austin Swamp. Um, he, he's kind of framing you as being part of the status quo, that you go there and nothing will change in Austin. Um, what do you think about that? I think that's kind of an interesting perspective. While uh, TLR and ART were very instrumental in turning Texas red. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas was traditionally a Democrat state. Um, they turned red in the 90s. And- Texas for lawsuit reform is a den of snakes. Texans for lawsuit reform are liberal establishment judicial advocates they were uh, just just tlr is a den of snakes
Both of those organizations um, played a very big role in that. Um, all of their donations and all of their supporters, they just want this state to stay conservative. Mm -hmm. They want. You see it as a good thing. I do see it as a good thing. Um, all of their their supporters and um, their donors, they want Texas to stay red. They want us. Yeah, to but how red? Yeah, but how red? By the way, Lance Gooden, Jeb Henschelling, Rick Perry, good endorsements to have. If if you are keeping your on the indens on the endorsement ledger, over in Brent Money's camp, uh, a guy named Ted Cruz, a guy named Greg Abbott, a guy named Ken Paxton. Unite! They want us to grow our party. And mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. And I am all about that. Immigration is an important issue across the whole state of Texas. Is there anything that the Texas House is is not doing on immigration that you would like to see them do? I would like to see um, us look at options to create a border agency. Hmm. Um, I think that that's just another what? tool in the toolbox that Governor Abbott could use. Um, but another thing that I'd like to see the House take a look at, um, or the entire legislature take a look at, is defunding some of these um, uh, non-governmental organizations that are providing incentives for the illegal immigration um, that draws them here. Which, by the way, the, these the, those are not unsound policy provision type things. Um, how about building a wall? How about telling the feds to uh, to take a hike if they try to cut our razor wire? Those those might be interesting things to consider too. All right, let me let, let Per finish, and then Brent will be. Uh, then Brent was on with uh, Phil as well in a little side by side thing on Lone Star Politics on Channel Five over the weekend, talking about news from over the weekend with you. Uh, local, national, global, 866-660-5759. Mark Davis, 931. Here's Nikki Whaley in the newsroom. Little Pam Tillis. Maybe it was Memphis. Maybe it was Southern Summer Night. 1991, the greatness of Maybe It Was Memphis. She'll take the stage at Will Rogers on Thursday night. Opening for her. You ready for this? God bless Texas. It's Little Texas. Uh, they are opening for Pam Tillis. That's cool. That's not the only. What, what else? What was their. What might have been was probably their biggest actual hit. So Little Texas and Pam Tillis. Thursday night. Will Rogers Auditorium. All right, there you go. 866-660-5759. So the rest of Jill's sentence was essentially about uh, defunding or, or paying some attention to NGOs, non-government organizations, that provide incentives to illegals. Oh, all good. All good, all good, all good. Uh, there just flat seems to be, from the endorsements, if you pay attention to that, to the sort of the strategies as they lay them out, the 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 image given off by Jill is, and, and this is interesting, because God bless Governor Perry, whom I've always loved. Uh, Perry hates Paxton. Uh, Paxton likes Brent Money. And so you got Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz on the Brent Money train, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, and and what might, and Texans for lawsuit reform, I'm sorry. Uh, they, they, are, they are not conservative. They, these are judicial um uh, these these are radical centrist judicial activists one might say um so anyway so anyway so Phil Prezan channel 5 asked Brent what's the difference between you and Jill 
Um, I think that the biggest difference is this, this district is one of the most conservative districts in Texas, and they want a conservative fighter. I think they look down at, in Austin and say it's broken. It's not working for us. Mm. And uh, when you look at my campaign, I'm endorsed by all the conservative fighters, Ted Cruz, Governor Abbott, uh, Attorney General Paxton, and, and others. And her campaign has been funded almost entirely by the Austin status quo crowd, uh, whether Austin Swamp, Austin Cartel, whatever you want to call it. And so you have really a contrast between um, a candidate who wants to go down there and change and a candidate that wants to go down there and keep things the same. Well, yeah, when you say fighter, what does that look like in practice? In practice, it means that I'm going to stand for the principles first. Um, I, I like to get along with everybody, uh, but that's not my first priority is mm-hmm. to get along. My first priority is to do the will of the people that elect me and to uphold the principles that I believe from for my Christian faith, from the Constitution, those things are going to come before getting along with people. So what do you feel like the Texas House is not doing that they should be doing? Every representative would have said their top priority was, was border. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. we got to do something about the border. And it took until November in the fourth special session before we even had a vote on the House floor about the border. I think mm-hmm. that's indicative of how broken the system is. And, and it's because we have competing interests about how that's done. And, and I believe a speaker who is trying to kowtow to maybe everybody or maybe just a smaller group, I don't know because I'm not there, but certainly not just saying these are the principles, we're going to drive toward this and, mm-hmm. and get a solution for the people of Texas. But is the, is the product that came out of the Texas House on, on immigration, for example, or border security, uh, is that up to up to par in your view, or is it just it took too long to get there? Um, I think both. I think we had a better um, a, a better bill in the original uh, first session, mm-hmm. HB twenty. Um, what we got was a was good. Why couldn't we have done that before? We waited until the last day to have a vote and debate, and then ran out of time. Mm-hmm. And that that seems to be not just um, poor management. It seems to be a strategy. They are coming here, and, and they're. Getting jobs, mm-hmm. would you support E-Verify for all employers? Yes, and uh, I think um, you know we we need to make sure. I'm I'm very partial to small businesses. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have a system that creates a bunch of additional expense and burden on uh, on businesses. Uh, but it's a burden right now when you have uh, you know I have I have clients that are like I'm hiring people the right way. I'm doing it legally, and I'm at a competitive disadvantage against people who are doing it illegally. There you go. All right, Brent Money, Jill Dutton. That uh, that all gets settled tomorrow. All right. <laughs> then, then we have, but then other, oh my. Oh, don't worry. The airwaves will fill up. Uh, you, you, <laughs> do you know what the, the, once we, February in general, so many primaries. It's just going to be delicious. And we're going to have some substantive commentary and what I hope are some useful interviews with all kinds of participants in all kinds of races. And during the commercial breaks and 60-second bursts, these people will absolutely savage each other <laughs> because it's it's what we do. Uh, all right. So what in the world should we do uh, with regard to the Iran-backed militia? Uh, I believe we're up to 34 U.S. service members injured, eight evacuated, and three of our three of our troops killed in this base in northeastern Jordan. 
Uh, the air is filled with suggestions that an immediate retaliatory, retaliatory strike is a good idea. Uh, that's not unanimously felt uh, on the Patriot Mobile text line itself for people who are it, – it, it's, it's so wild that this is – I don't want to say that it's the Trump effect singularly. It may be a kind of an America first populism. Which is good, which you know, this is a, a big fan of America first populism. There is an instant hesitancy that kicks in there for, you know, military strikes around the world, which, by the way, maybe we should be hesitating to do such things. But hesitating doesn't mean not doing it. Uh, and maybe the hesitation is a day. Maybe the hesitation is a week. I think as today, I haven't had the chance to sleep on all this and hear what everybody's had to say about it is we pardon the double, if not triple, triple negative. We can't not do nothing. <laughs> we, we can't, we can't do, we can't not do something, uh, which is not necessarily the same as we can't do. I don't think anybody wants to do absolutely nothing, but, but <sighs> the message sent to the Iranian mullahs, the message sent to the Ayatollahs, if we let this go, the message is hit us again. If we bomb the hell out of some Iranian ships in their ports, the message is we're not going to stand for this. That's good. But maybe the message is, okay, y'all, rodeo's on. And then there's further escalation. Is that is that a price you are willing to pay? Every once in a while, passions run at, at a certain depth. And there, there are things of certain clarity, uh, such that even Joe Scarborough gets it. And this is in the uh, the petri dish that is Morning Joe, where he and Mika just live to torment Trump every day. But that doesn't mean they don't occasionally ask good questions of their occasionally good guests. Admiral James Stavridis is a good military analyst. He's on with Hugh a lot and on MSNBC a lot. And this was an interesting moment at about mm, five minutes after five this morning as um, as Joe as Joe Scarborough uh, mused about the following in saying uh, in, in welcoming Admiral Stavridis. In this case, I, it, I just uh, I wonder how much longer is the United States going to allow its troops to be shot at by people who are being funded by Iran? At what point do we not just go to the source of the problem? which has been the source of the problem since 1979, and go to Iran. If Iran if Iran wants to continue killing Americans or trying to kill Americans, should we not at least sink one of their ships? Should we not at least blow up their air force? Should we not at least blow up their oil fields? Pick one of the three. I don't care. It's interesting, too, because as I was listening to this, I thought, oh, you mean like maybe like Trump might do? Or would he? WWTD, what would Trump do? <laughs> we, need, we need those bracelets. Uh, or maybe not, <laughs> but we do need him. Uh, we, we need a return to an American foreign policy of strength. Strength, however, doesn't mean that you're always hopping immediately to war footing. So as we think about what the proper use of American strength is here, uh, the admiral's reply. Uh, when this occurred, after the blow to my heart of learning that we lost three of our best and uh, 
25 to 30 wounded, yeah. uh, 10 evacuated, meaning they're at risk of life-threatening uh, wounds. Uh, this is attack number 160 or so. So, Joe, I am one who is always, uh, let's try the diplomacy. Let's try the incremental steps here. I think we are at the point where what is necessary is a hammer blow against the proxies. I'll expand on that in one moment. If that doesn't have the intended effect, then yes, it's time to go after Iran. So I think what the Pentagon is doing, I don't think, I know what the Pentagon is doing, is building options for the president that will include increasing the intelligence collection, using cyber to go after both the proxies, probably Iran, CIA stepping up its game inside Iran. Iran's using their proxies. Maybe we could use a few proxies operating against the mullahs, against the Revolutionary Guard. And the military strike packages speak for themselves. I think you'll see the president order another aircraft carrier, 80 combat aircraft, back to the region to prepare in case we have to go after Iran directly. And by the way, if I were going to pick something, I would go after the uh, ship at sea scenario. We've done that before. It's a very effective way and a very direct demonstration of American power. Wow. So as Admiral Stavridis lays that out, what do you want to do? Let's uh, let's work on this some more tomorrow. Meanwhile, let's hop to Fort Worth. Frank. Hey, Mark Davis. Welcome. How are you, sir? Hey, Frank. Hey, Frank. How are you, sir? Is there something I didn't? Oh, hang on a minute. Might be operator error. Hi, Frank. Let's try this. Okay. That's right. All righty. Uh, actually, it might be God saying, hey, talk show boy, get out on time. So as we take a look at what might be, when I is even as I say Joe Biden's options, uh, Jake Sullivan's options, Anthony Blinken's options, uh, Secretary Austin, hope he's better. Um, just all the people who really are making decisions for the United States. The piece of wisdom that has wrapped itself around me today is that if indeed we did something, the, o- the only reason not to hit them and hit them hard, to blast an Iranian warship out of the water, the only reason not to do that would be some type of horrid escalation that could be really injurious, hurtful, uh, damaging, tense, awful, impactful against America, our allies, or our forces in the region. In other words, what might Iran try to do? The short answer is I don't know. Nobody does. But my gut suggests that they would learn the lesson and back down, at least for a bit. Other lessons may have to be taught in the future. But that, as we wrap up today's program, let's see what further developments are today. But I'm going to come at you tomorrow morning with all kinds of other topics. But I think my first, the first thought will be to share uh, the spirit given to us by Brother Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. The only answer to these attacks is a devastating military retaliation. I think that makes sense to me.
Give us a buzz tomorrow. Text line right now. I read that all day. 866-660-5759. I'm Mark Davis. Exit ramp next. You keep her She'll keep being quiet. She might be holding something. 40 years ago, right now, there was a brand new album from The Pretenders. It was a remake of a record by The Persuaders out of 1971. Great R&B classic called Thin Line Between Love and Hate. Well, Chrissy Hine and the boys said, uh, let's remake that. And they did, and it was beautiful. This is from Learning to Crawl, which was climbing the charts 40 years ago right now. Had uh, quite a few magnificent records on there. Middle of the Road, Chain Gang, and a little song called My City Was Gone that became the theme for the Rush Limbaugh Show. So let the pretenders take us out for producer Rhonda K. Marlin on X at producer Rhonda K. R-O-N-D-A capital K. Thank you, Mr. Matt, for the technical guru skills. Thank you so much to Nikki Whaley for news excellence and all of you for listening. God bless our country, our troops, our families. Mike Gallagher is next. Stuff going on and the world's going crazy. Sorting it out with you every day. Mark Davis, 660 AM, The Answer. See you in the morning. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.